Welcome to the sermons of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Fort Capel, Saskatchewan. We pray that this may be a blessing to you, and God's Word would dwell richly within your heart. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Many of the Jews in the days of Jesus were expecting a Messiah to be a deliverer like the great warrior kings of old, to be like David who took the city of Jerusalem from the Jebusites and enlarged the borders of the kingdom, to be like the Maccabees who defeated the Seleucids who were opposing them and oppressing them and cleansed the temple. At this time especially, the people were looking for a messiah to subdue or expel the Romans, the pagan ruling peoples, and create an everlasting kingdom based in Jerusalem. In the midst of all these expectations, Jesus told his disciples that he would die and rise again. The first time this happened was after Peter confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to them, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. Then, after his transfiguration, he, once he had set his face like flint towards Jerusalem, he said, Let these words sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand the saying, and it was hidden from them that they did not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about the saying. And now near Jericho, about 25 kilometers from Jerusalem, he tells his disciples, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that were written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished, for he will be delivered into to the Gentiles, and to be mocked, and insulted, and spit upon. They will scourge him, and kill him. In the third day he will rise again. But yet again the disciples understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. These last words concerning Jesus' sufferings, death, and resurrection are his most detailed yet. Not only is he going to be falling into the hands of sinful men, not only will the chief priests and the scribes do this to him, but he will be handed over to the Gentiles and be tortured before his death. At face value, this stands against everything that was expected of the Messiah. But our Lord tells them that while it is opposed to their human reasoning and human thinking, these things were written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man. Yes, all of this, his rejection by the leaders of Israel, his being handed over to the Gentiles, his bitter sufferings and death, all of this was prophesied beforehand. And soon these things were about to be accomplished. And while our Lord speaks in more detail here about his suffering and death, these scant words gloss over the horrors of his passion. The first is the rejection by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes of Israel. 
They were those that should have known him to be the Messiah and embraced him. Yet they judge him a blasphemer, number him with the transgressors, and deliver him to the Gentiles. These Gentiles mock and insult him. They strip him of his clothing, place a royal purple robe upon him, crown him with thorns, and strike his head with rods, driving the thorns into his sacred brow. They spit upon him, degrading him, proclaiming to all that they see him as less than dirt. But this was not limited only to the Gentiles. The Jewish guards that arrested him blindfolded him, and they hit him on the face and asked him to prophesy to say which one had hit him. In addition, St. Luke tells us that many other things they blasphemy spoke against him. They will scourge him and kill him, says our Lord concerning his coming death, concerning his trip to Jerusalem. Scourging, as practiced by the Romans, was a terrible affair, meant to bring one as close to death as possible before execution. With arms stretched above his head, tied to a pillar, our Lord was brutally scourged with whips that had iron balls and bits of bone stuck through the cords so that it broke the skin and tore into the muscle. Then he was killed by crucifixion, a torturous death in and of itself. Nails piercing through the nerve that runs from the hand up into the arm, sending pain throughout the body. The position itself making breathing difficult, and the pain was literally excruciating. A word the Romans coined having to do with the suffering coming out of the cross. In this death, we see the severity of God's wrath over sin. As our Lord himself said that his death was a ransom for many, and his blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins. And without true faith, without knowledge of God's loving will to save humanity, the death of Jesus cannot be seen as anything other than horrible. It is scandalous. As St. Paul writes, we preach Christ crucified to the Jew a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. It's scandalous to the Jewish mind that this is how their Messiah would bring about salvation, that he would die on a tree and be cursed, and that this was for atonement of sin. It was foolishness to the Greek mind that one who's to be the savior of all died the death of a slave, and that he should suffer in such a way. Today, unbelievers say the death was needless and that it sounds to them like divine child abuse, where Jesus suffers for the wrongs of others. Without faith and without a knowledge of God's will, the passion of our Lord Jesus is nothing but terror, both for what he suffered and because of its revelation of the great gravity of sin. Indeed, without faith, without being regenerated by the Holy Spirit, one cannot comprehend it. St. Paul wrote, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. This is why when Jesus spoke about his coming death and resurrection to the disciples, they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things that were spoken. But with true faith, we see the loving and saving will of God. For without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. And due to the great number of our sins and the sins of the world, 
the blood of bulls and sheep and goats could never be sufficient. So Christ Jesus, the Son of God and Son of Man, willingly took upon himself our sins and willingly went to his death to lay down his life, not to have it taken from him against his will, but to willingly lay it down to atone for sin. For he alone is perfect, and his blood is of infinite worth. This is the singular will of God to save us. There is no contradiction in the will of God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have one divine will. And so out of his love for the world, God had willed that the person of his Son would take on flesh and make atonement for sin, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. In his death on our behalf, our Lord Jesus Christ paid the debt we owe to sin, dying that we may not die eternally, but instead live. All of this which he suffered, he voluntarily suffered for us. As he said to Peter when he was first arrested, and Peter tried to save Jesus, taking out his sword and striking at Malchus, the servant of the high priest, do you not think that I cannot pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? If Jesus did not willingly go to the cross, there was no way anyone could stop him if he did not want to go. But this was his will. His will was to die for us in order to save us because we can't save ourselves. How deep and great his love for us that he should do all of this to redeem us lowly creatures from sin so that in him we might have righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. How great his love that he would do this to restore us from everlasting death to eternal life in his presence, in bodies that are resurrected from the dead and restored and renewed that surpass anything that we know now. What wondrous love that he would bear the curse of sin for us, that we may be blessed in him. Faith, that is trust in Christ, receives these wonderful benefits, which he has won for us through his death and resurrection. Faith is the hand that grasps which Christ has promised. All the blessings that he has gained for us by his death and resurrection, he offers us freely by his grace, so that when we come to faith in him by the means of grace, we receive all of it. The forgiveness of sins, justification, life, salvation, redemption, all of this he freely gives to us, and all of this faith receives. Just as in the second half of our gospel, the blind man at Jericho had faith that Jesus could heal him. He had faith that Jesus could grant him sight, and he believed that he was the Messiah, the son of David. The man did nothing to receive his own sight. He couldn't, but Jesus did all the work to heal him. He said, receive your sight, your faith has saved you. If the blind man did not believe that Jesus could do this, he wouldn't have asked him in the first place. If he, but because he had faith, and because he believed, he received the gift that the Lord freely gave. And so, since Christ has graciously given us faith, us by faith, all of these wonderful blessings of healing, life, salvation, and forgiveness, let us, like the blind man, follow Jesus and glorify God. 
Let us continue to follow him in the midst of conflict and ridicule because of our faith, just as the man did who was blind. For because he believed in Jesus and called out to him, he was spoken against by those around him who tried to shut him up so that he would not call out to Christ. Let us, like him, disregard these things and instead focus our attention on Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the Messiah, who willingly gave his life for us. Let us continue to call out to him in all times of need and trouble, in all times of joy as well. Let us follow him joyfully, glorifying him for all that he has done for us. Yes, let us follow him even on the way of the cross, for that is where the man was following Jesus. Our Lord had told his disciples that he was going to Jerusalem in order to die. He was only 25 kilometers away from that place and was moving ever closer to it. And as he went, the man that was blind but now could see followed him and glorified God as Christ walked the way of the cross. And this is what it's like for all who follow him. The way of the cross is the way in which our Lord loved us, willingly giving himself for us. As we follow him in the way of the cross, we give ourselves in service to others. To serve our neighbor out of our love for them, just as Christ served us by giving himself out of his love for us. To suffer long with them, to show kindness, to be content and humble in our service to them. To seek not our own good, but the good of others. To mourn with the mourning and to rejoice with the rejoicing. This is the way of the cross, to give oneself in service to others. And it is nothing else than the way of love. For Christ has done all that he has for us out of his loving and saving will, that by grace, through faith in him, we may live. And now may God, who out of his deep love for us, his fallen creation, grant that we who have faith in Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, Remain steadfast in this faith and ever follow him in giving ourselves in loving service to others, that at the last we may enter into life everlasting through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless and preserve you always. Amen. <laughs>